You're listening to Lost in History with Scott Miller. Theodore Roosevelt's oldest child, Alice, was in a bad mood throughout the winter of 1908. Four years before, on election night, her father had rashly promised not to seek a third term and was now about to leave the White House because of that commitment. With heavy hearts, Alice and the rest of the family were packing up lives that they loved. That Teddy's political ally, William Howard Taft, would replace him offered cold comfort, especially for Alice. So sometime around early March 1909, Alice got her hands on a voodoo doll that was meant to depict Taft's wife, Helen. She then buried the small effigy on the White House grounds in hopes of putting a curse on the incoming administration. It seemed to work. Helen survived her stint as First Lady, but her husband served only four years, which he himself described as very humdrum. I'm Scott Miller, and welcome to my new podcast, Lost in History. Here I tell the stories of people whom you might not have heard a lot about, but who helped shape our world. One of those was the daughter of Theodore Roosevelt, the young woman who would become known around the world simply as Princess Alice. Alice Roosevelt shattered the strict rules by which young ladies of her time were supposed to live, and in the process helped define the modern American woman. She committed such outrageous behavior as smoking in public, driving a car, and playing in poker. And she didn't mind who was watching. It was said at the turn of the century that young women should be mentioned in the newspapers no more than three times, when they were born, when they married, and when they died but Alice adroitly managed a public spotlight to become one of the most famed and beloved figures in the country. As a writer, I greatly admire her way with words. Alice astutely observed of her attention-craving dad, My father always wanted to be the corpse at every funeral, and the bride at every wedding, and the baby at every christening. She once quipped that the secret of eternal youth is arrested development. And she famously kept a cushion on her couch embroidered with the request, if you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me. Yet for all Alice's wit and sparkle, she struggled with a difficult life at home, both as a child and as an adult. As a young girl, she was driven by a hunger for her father's attention and approval, which he so often refused to give. And in her 20s, she fell into the arms of a husband who didn't appreciate her, leading to flagrant infidelities on both sides. In today's podcast, I tell the story of the early part of Alice's life, culminating in her most famed achievement, serving as a goodwill ambassador on a trip to Asia that redefined America's relationships in the region. The greatest single event in Alice Roosevelt's life occurred when she was less than 48 hours old. The first child of Teddy and her mother, who was also named Alice, she was born at the family home on West 57th Street in New York on the evening of February 12, 1844. Within hours of her arrival, it became clear that her mother was not doing well. Messages were rushed to Theodore, then a representative at the New York State Legislature in Albany, who raced home. There he was met by his brother Elliot, who sobbed, The house is cursed. Alice is dying upstairs, and Mother is dying downstairs. Indeed, the elder Alice's pregnancy had apparently masked a case of Bright's disease, a kidney ailment, 
that had been exacerbated by the trauma of childbirth. In a terrible coincidence, Roosevelt's mother was stricken by typhoid fever. Both women perished within 11 hours of one another. The twin deaths shattered Teddy and forever crippled his relationship with his daughter. T.R. marked his diary on February 14, 1884 with a large cross and wrote, The light has gone out of my life. Other than a couple of minor exceptions, there is no record of Roosevelt ever mentioning his wife again. The day after the funeral of her mother, the infant Alice was placed in the care of T.R.'s sister, Vi. There she would remain for the next three years as Teddy fled for the Dakota Territory to throw himself into physical activities that would help him overcome his grief. Alice and Bai were perfect for each other. Bai suffered from several ailments and was delighted to care for the young girl, whom she called her blue-eyed darling. Alice might have happily stayed with her aunt, but when Teddy remarried to Edith Kermit Caro, the family decided that Alice should join her father and new stepmother. Alice would never feel welcome. Edith had known Teddy since they were kids and had long assumed they would marry. And her feelings about being passed over were still raw, even after Teddy asked her to become his second wife. She would say, for instance, that Teddy's first wife would have eventually bored him to death had she lived. Young Alice's new half-brothers would make jokes to her about having a different mother. And Teddy seldom had time to spend with his daughter or show much sympathy for her predicament. In September 1901, Theodore Roosevelt was less than a year into his biggest political job, serving as vice president to William McKinley. Loud and nakedly ambitious, Teddy was hardly popular within his own party, and his career might have ended there. But on September 6th, anarchist Leon Sholgosh tracked McKinley to the Pan-American Exposition in Buffalo, New York, and shot him. Just over a week later, Teddy was sworn in as the 26th President of the United States. Moving into the White House not long later, Alice and her siblings transformed the presidential mansion into a playground. She used trays from the kitchen to slide down the stairs and rode her bike in the halls. She enjoyed jumping out from behind furniture to startle visitors. A menagerie of pets added to the chaos, including a blue macaw named Eli Yale. The antics of Alice and her siblings were approvingly reported by newspapers and charmed Americans. One reporter noted that Alice was exceedingly pretty, an assessment that a growing number of Americans agreed with. On January 3, 1902, Alice began her transformation from rambunctious tomboy to a national icon at her official unveiling as a debutante. Wearing a pure white taffeta gown with a simple diamond pendant, Alice shined during a night of dancing. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, TR's distant cousin who was still unknown to the nation, called the event glorious. The New York Times published a story on the front page. The New York Tribune wrote, a more charming debutante has rarely been introduced in Washington. Tall with a striking figure, blue eyes, and a fine fair complexion, she is certainly one of the prettiest girls in Washington. Men lined up seven deep to dance with her. Alice received hundreds of requests for autographs and photos. There were popular songs with sheet music about her, including the Alice Roosevelt March, 
A new color, Alice Blue, based on the blue-gray of her eyes, became popular for dresses and gowns. Postcards appeared in shops with her picture on them. Teddy did what he could to limit Alice's exposure, but there was no quenching public interest. Sometime before the middle of January 1902, no less a personage than Kaiser Wilhelm II asked whether Alice would christen his American-made yacht, the Meteor. For the monarch, the idea was a masterstroke linking the popularity of the pretty American girl with Germany. Diplomats in Europe worried the Kaiser had orchestrated a PR coup. The British, not wishing to be outdone, wasted no time in announcing their own plans for Alice, inviting her to come to England to attend the coronation of Edward VII. Alice was thrilled and threw herself into planning a wardrobe. But she would soon learn that being the daughter of the president had its drawbacks. Hundreds of letters poured into the White House from Irish Americans who were incensed that the Roosevelts seemed to be supporting the English monarchy. In the face of a political firestorm, TR cabled London that Alice could not attend, a decision that deeply disappointed Alice and led to no small amount of family discord. As a consolation prize, Alice was allowed to take a month-long trip to Cuba, where she had bully fun, as she put it, eating spicy Cuban food and following highlight games. After her return, the Ladies' Home Journal published a piece on Alice that described her as warm-hearted, impulsive, and demonstrative. She was, the writer went on, the typical American girl of good health and sane ideas. Alice's popularity came against a frustratingly slow process towards equality for American women. Pioneers like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton had championed even basics such as the right to vote since before the Civil War. But only a handful of Western states had granted that privilege. Jobs for women still largely consisted of hard labor over sewing machine or looms. Strict social mores confined women's behavior to narrowly defined corridors. Alice, though, seemed to show that those days were numbered. In a time when driving a car was strictly for men, Alice made no secret of her love of motoring. In 1904, she purchased a $2,500 Red Devil automobile that she drove as fast as she dared. She received a number of speeding tickets. She played poker with men and was not bashful about bragging about her winnings. At a racetrack outside Washington, a photographer snapped a picture of her handing money to a betting commission. The president's friends prevented it from being printed by the newspapers, but T.R. had a serious talk with his daughter. She snuck alcohol into dry parties, sometimes taking her pet snake, Emily Spinach, with her. And horror of horrors, she ate asparagus with her gloves on. And with new friends from the nation's moneyed families, she turned up at all the best social events. With Countess Marguerite Cassini, she performed racy dances and flirted with men. Cassini would later say that she and Alice were two badly spoiled girls set only on their own pleasure. Teddy, predictably, took a dim view of his daughter's behavior. Once, when she repeatedly interrupted a conversation he was having with novelist Owen Wister, T.R. snapped, the next time you come in, I'll throw you out the window. He then uttered his most famous line about the first daughter. I can be president of the United States, or I can attend to Alice. I can't possibly do both. Cigarettes in particular were a friction point. T.R. refused to let Alice smoke in the White House. 
So in an act of pure rebellion, she climbed to the top of the building and smoked there. She later said, I naturally smoked to annoy my family. Teddy seemed oblivious as to why Alice was acting out, that she was desperate for his attention. Alice noted, Father doesn't care for me. That is to say, one-eighth as much as he does for the other children. Alice may have frequently tested the patience of her father, but she managed to avoid real scandal, and when it counted, she could show she knew how to behave. On a trip to Puerto Rico in March 1903, Alice was determined to show her father that she could rise to the occasion. She reviewed troops, christened a fire engine, and visited an industrial school in a sugar plantation. A firework display spelled out, Welcome to Miss Alice Roosevelt. I really am trying to be very good, Alice wrote to her stepmother, Edith. Her father was delighted by her effort. You were of real service down there because you made the people feel that you liked them and took an interest in them, and your presence was accepted as a great compliment. By her late teens, it was not unreasonable for Alice to start looking forward to finding a future husband. There certainly was no shortage of prospects. Alice's heart, in fact, was a revolving door of young men who came and went from her affections. She regularly noted her crushes in her journal, numbering each man she fancied. Two proposed marriage. She dismissed both offers. Alice, in fact, was careful in her romances. She had seen other women friends suffer the severest social penalties for being rumored to have gone too far with a young man. As Alice put it later in life, Woe betide the girl who emerged from the conservatory at a dance with her hair slightly disheveled. There was, in fact, one young man who might have lured Alice into just such a predicament. Congressman Nicholas Longworth of Ohio was cultured and charming. Well tailored down to the spats he wore in his shoes and his gold-tipped cane, he was quick-witted and perpetually cheerful. And most important of all, Longworth was wealthy. Money was, in fact, the driving force in Alice's search for a husband. To her diary, she promised herself to marry only a very wealthy man. I pray for money, she wrote. In Longworth, Alice realized she might have found what she was looking for. She would, she decided, keep an eye on this most promising prospect. In the presidential election of 1904, Theodore defeated the Democrat Alton B. Parker in a landslide and began to consider what would be the final term of his presidency. Never lacking for energy, he set his sights on such ambitions as regulating big business. Increasingly, too, he turned his eye toward Asia. Since the Spanish-American War had ended in December 1898, the United States had found itself an uncertain power in the Pacific. As a result of the peace treaty to end that war, the U.S. had acquired the Philippines but was unsure about what to do with them, torn between their strategic importance and the unwelcome duties of managing colonies. At the same time, America had made a commitment to the future of China when Secretary of State John Hay announced his open-door policy, which stipulated that China's territorial integrity must be maintained and that all countries should have equal access to the market there. Roosevelt now felt he needed to solidify those ties. So in July 1905, he dispatched the largest diplomatic delegation in American history, some 83 senators, congressmen, and other dignitaries, all led by Secretary of War and future President Taft, 
and to add sparkle to the event, he named Alice to the traveling list. The trip was far and away the most important assignment Teddy had given to his daughter, one that required extreme diplomatic delicateness. But as always, Alice remained true to herself. On the train across the United States, she took a few shots at passing targets with her pistol. In Hawaii, she learned to dance the hula, and she shocked virtually all aboard her ship, the Manchuria, as it headed across the Pacific, when she jumped into the ship's swimming pool, fully clothed. Alice, though, as she had throughout her life, was keenly aware of what she was doing, and always had an innate sense of the invisible line that separated outrageous but harmless behavior from damaging controversy that could hurt her father. Joining the trip was Alice's on-again, off-again love interest, the Ohio Congressman Longworth. Some 15 years older than Alice, Longworth had a terrible reputation around Washington for drinking and womanizing, even hiring prostitutes. But he had several things going for him. He was a politician, a profession that Alice could relate to. He was highly cultured, enjoyed the opera, spoke French, and was talented with the violin. He was, most importantly, rich, the son of a wealthy Ohio real estate investor. On board their ship to Asia, the two began to spend more and more time together. By the time the Manchuria reached Japan, the importance of their mission was becoming clearer. First, Taft was to negotiate with the Japanese a deal to cement American and Japanese ambitions in Asia. Second, they learned that Teddy was to host peace talks between Japan and Russia, trying to end a war the two had been fighting for over a year. For the Japanese, winning the president's good favor was vital, and they showered Alice with love and attention. She was a focus of flag-waving crowds that lined streets everywhere the American delegation went. She was feted with geisha dancing, jiu-jitsu demonstrations, and diplomatic dinners. She was given so many gifts that a friend remarked that she was Alice in Plunderland. The highlight for Alice was meeting the emperor, a rare honor for a foreigner. Over a meal, the emperor seated Alice at his right side and gently asked her about her father. While Alice bathed in public adulation, Taft was busy in conversation with Japanese Prime Minister Katsura. The two inked a secret memorandum of understanding in which the Japanese disavowed any designs on the American colony in the Philippines, and the U.S. acknowledged Japan's dominance in Korea. With the heavy diplomatic work done, the entourage left for the Philippines and an inspection tour. As in Japan, Alice spent her time in banquets and receptions. She toured sugar mills and attended dances in her honor. The eyes of the whole world are upon her, wrote the Washington Post, representing as she does not only the chief executive of our nation, but the typical American girl. From the Philippines, the group traveled to Hong Kong, China, Korea, and finally back to Japan in September 1905. There, they received a decidedly different reaction from the one accorded them earlier in the summer. Three weeks before, in a deal brokered by Teddy, Japan had signed the Treaty of Portsmouth with Russia, ending the Russo-Japanese War. The Japanese public, believing they had won the war, was astonished that the Russians were not required to pay reparations, and blamed Teddy for stabbing them in the back. There were anti-American riots and caricatures of TR on the streets. Alice was told to tell people she was British and she was accompanied by plain-clothes policemen everywhere she went. Alice's attention, though, was now squarely focused on her personal life. 
During their weeks traveling in Asia, she and Longworth had spent more and more time together. Rumors began to spread that they were secretly engaged. On December 13, 1905, the two indeed announced their plan to wed and set a date of February 17, 1906. Edith was satisfied with the match, figuring that Nick's drinking and their age difference were outweighed by his money and apparently bright political future. Everyone around the White House was in 1906, in fact, in a good mood. It was in that year that Teddy received the Nobel Prize for brokering the peace deal between Japan and Russia. In late 1908, Alice and her husband Nick called on the White House when the depressing countdown on the TR presidency was underway. Eleanor Roosevelt noted that cousin Alice looked lovely but so quiet. Alice skipped Taft's swearing in and went instead to lunch at the Longworth home. In the years after her father's presidency, Alice never lost her saucy and feisty attitude. She would be banned from the White House during the Taft administration and she championed her own father's run for president in 1912 as head of the Bull Moose Party, turning her back on her husband's Republican friends. And later she was banished from the Wilson White House when she made a crude joke about the president. Her relationship with her husband quickly disintegrated. By 1912, she was contemplating divorce. He hates me and I hate him, she wrote. At age 40, Alice found herself pregnant with a child most likely of her lover, Senator William Bora. She gave birth to Paulina Longworth on February 14, 1925. Longworth, her husband, would die at the age of 62 in 1931 in the home of one of his lovers. Alice would go on to author a rival newspaper column to Eleanor Roosevelt and would do unkind impersonations of her distant relative. She would cross wits with a string of presidents, such as when she remarked that she always wore a wide-brimmed hat in the presence of Lyndon Johnson, so that he couldn't kiss her. But she would befriend others, including Richard Nixon, at least until the Watergate scandal, when Nixon quoted T.R. in his resignation speech, which she deeply resented. Alice died in 1980, but her wit and skill for what we would now call living her best life remain an inspiration. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you have any questions or feedback, please reach out to me on Twitter at Lost, the letter N, History Pod. And be sure to check out my website, www.scottmillerauthor.com. We will see you next time.